Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 12. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We do have uh, our ushers will bring you over one. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 12. Book of 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that wherever we are in your word, Lord, Old Testament, New Testament, Father, anything in between, God, that you... Uh, have something that you do want to speak to us, Father. We thank you that your word is living. It's alive, Father. It wants to, uh, you want to speak to us through it, Father. And I pray this morning, God, that you would just help us to hear, Lord. Help us to listen, Lord, with our hearts, Father, as well as our minds. Lord God, whatever it is that's going on outside the front doors here, Lord, and whatever cares or concerns or whatnot that may have brought in with us, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a a respite, Father, uh, for the next hours. We just go through your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us really by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear, to listen, to do those things you're calling us to do, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could be seated. <clears throat> Seems that these verses here about Rehoboam come up a few times in our teachings lately. Joel quoted from them last Sunday, and someone else had brought them up in another teaching. And and the real important thing is these, these verses really are very powerful for us, and really what they reveal, and the wisdom that's contained in them. If you remember, if you were here this last Sunday, Garrett Smith had come out and was just teaching us on the wisdom of the Lord. And... What's perhaps most vital is how we respond to what these verses teach us will really determine the kind of legacy that each one of us is going to leave here on this earth, how we're going to be remembered after we're gone, and whether our lives had really lasting value in the eyes of the Lord, and whether our lives would be seen as a success. In fact, they can help us determine how we're going to be welcomed into heaven. In case you think I'm being too dramatic, considering the words of Jesus in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 
where he welcomed his servant in saying, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And so these verses this morning teach us really about service, what it means, why we're to do it, what's it all about. And we'll use these verses as a springboard to really gain the wisdom we need to really know how to approach our own life events, to know how to leave a godly legacy, and really even how to function as a member of the body of Christ. And so we'll get into our verses here. 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, verse 1. It says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. And so Rehoboam here was about to be coronated as a king of a united Israel. And if you've been uh, with us, you'll know Rehoboam was the son of King Solomon. And so he's the fourth king of Israel, Saul, then David, then Solomon, and now Rehoboam. And you remember King Solomon himself was really in the same position as a young king some 40 years before. And when Solomon was presented with the same kind of challenge of being a king, you remember God said to Solomon, what do you want? You know, you're, you're one wish from the genie. And he said, you know, I need wisdom and discernment to be a king. And so God blessed him and blessed his life. Well, now Solomon is now passed off the scene. His son Rehoboam has now ascended the throne and now he as well is in this very vulnerable position of being a young king. And now all of Israel comes. And rather than giving him shouts of accolades and how you know, excited they are that he's king, they come to him with a problem. And then he's confronted. And now Rehoboam needs wisdom on how to respond to these people. But what you see here in the life of King Rehoboam will be played out again and again in the lives of us who are Christians, where time and again you're going to find yourselves confronted with life events and circumstances that are going to be beyond your ability to answer or respond to or to even know what to do. And there's a wisdom that we need from the Lord. You know, we just had a couple get married and... Marriage, absolutely a life event to be contended with. How do we do it? How do we go about our marriage? How do we have a good one and not become just one of another statistics of failure? Or perhaps there has been a change in your work where you suddenly find yourself with greater responsibilities and now you're in a position of leadership like Rehoboam here becoming king. And you've not led before and people are coming to you with their issues and looking for you to solve all the problems. Perhaps you're just, you know, getting old. I know that's not really happening to maybe a lot of you here in this room, but the rest of us that are losing hair as well as strength start to think about these things. Am I ready for heaven? Am I ready to die? What do I need to be doing here and now to prepare that I may be welcomed with an inheritance there? Or maybe you've had a, a major life event in just becoming a Christian. Or maybe just deciding, well, you know, I've called myself a Christian and now I want to be one. And you're wondering, how am I to live and behave now? You know, becoming a Christian can be a terrifying thing. 
You may know it's what you need to do, but then to take those few steps into the, into the foray can be very terrifying. Now, I could ask you, I won't ask you to raise your hands, you know, but it's maybe easier to come here into the service where you don't have to necessarily talk with someone than to, say, go out in the food court with a bunch of Christians afterwards and actually have a conversation. And that may be a terrifying thing to do. Maybe you don't know how to behave. You may feel strange and awkward. Uh, maybe you know better how to be around non-Christians and, than being around Christians. And so the question is, how do I contend with that? And so whether you're married or leading up to it or you're in some position of leadership or you want to know how can I be ready for heaven or just how do I be a Christian? Well, these verses give us that kind of guidance. And as well, they give us the guidance like Rehoboam was given on how to be blessed forever. So let's go on. Verse 2. It says, So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. And so this man, Jeroboam, was actually a leader under King Solomon, and he had fled down to uh, Egypt because of a prophecy. And so now he comes back and really acts as a representative for Israel to Rehoboam, saying, okay, you know, I'm sort of the spokesman here, uh, you know, we, your father is a very bright guy, but we want you to change some of his policies. You know, their heavy yoke that they speak to in verse 4, probably referring to taxes and other forms of service that Solomon had put upon the people to create just some of the big building projects that were going on during Solomon's reign in Israel. Now it goes on in verse 6 and says, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do, you, how do you advise me to answer these people? And so though King Solomon had died, and though the word of God just calls him the uh, wisest man who had ever lived, there were those elders who had uh, served Israel with King Solomon and had just gleaned his knowledge and wisdom. In fact, The book of uh, Proverbs just talks about how men had copied out some of the things that Solomon was saying to give us the the book of Proverbs. And so these men were still around after Solomon had died. And Rehoboam is now uh, asking them, what should I do? He's asking these men, these wise men for advice. Well, you know, they're, they're telling me I need to change Some of my father's policies, what do you think I should do? Verse 7, they answer him. It says, and they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. And so now these men give Rehoboam some of the most profound wisdom really in the whole Bible. As they tell Rehoboam to do three things, they tell him, Rehoboam, be a servant. They tell him, and do the work of a servant. And as well, to speak kind and good words 
to these people. They tell him if he does these things, then he will be a success in his calling as a king. And the answer, the message for us today, if we follow the same advice from these wise men, so can we and the callings that God has put upon our lives. And so he tells them to do these three things. The first thing they tell them is to be a servant. That is, have the heart of one who serves. Have the attitude of a servant. Don't fall in love with that crown. Don't fall in love with that gift, that calling of yours to make you special. It's not something to put yourself over the people. It's for you to put yourself under the people and to serve them. And so the motivating priority of his kingship was not to be how he could extend his kingship. It was what was the, what are the needs of the people to use his authority, to use the power and the resources that he had been given to serve the people under him, to understand what their needs were, what were their pains, and for those concerns to be on the agenda for his monarchy which is really great advice. You know, this is really echoed for us in the New Testament as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And it goes on in verse 5 of that same chapter, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Peter says something very similar. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. He says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. John speaks to us. In 1 John 3.16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the heart and the attitude of a servant. It's to recognize that everything that you've been given is not there strictly for you to advance yourself. It's to say, what have I been given and how can that be used to build up and serve those around me? And so to be successful as a Christian, the first attitude we need to have is the heart and the attitude of a servant. The second thing that these elders tell Rehoboam is to now serve them. That is, not only have the attitude of a heart, I'm sorry, the the heart and attitude of a servant, but to actually do the work. You know, it's important that our good intentions be followed up by the good works. Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 3, verse 8. He said, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. This is Paul writing a letter to Titus as a pastor. He says, this is what I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men as well to those already in ministry. Paul writes to Titus chapter 3, verse 14, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. And so a key part of 
being a Christian and really a reminder for those of us in ministry is that we just need to continually be about serving. You know, there's no uh, retirement uh, from service. Maybe what you can do has to change physically or mentally or whatever you can do. But, you know, there are works that every one of us can do. Even if you can't lift yourself out of bed, you can pray. And so there is a service that's uh, for each one of us. And it's vital to really come to a place where we really have joy in serving. Now, we probably don't necessarily start out that way. But just to come to a place where we recognize that this is just part of the Christian life. It's what God wants to empower us to do. And just to come to a place where you like it. Um where you just realize, you know, this is, this is just what God is, is calling us to do, is to serve, whatever that capacity may be. And so these elders tell Rehoboam, have the heart of a servant, but as well have the works of a servant. And that will make him successful as a king. There's a third thing they now counsel him, and that's to speak good words to them. To listen to their concerns. Oh, how important it is when you're in a position where people are coming to you. And you know, people are going to come to you maybe just because you're a Christian. And they think that maybe you've got some answers for them. But just to listen. To listen with your heart. To not have a quick answer. You know, so often we can use verses like a six-gun shooter in an old western. And bam, 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 you know what I mean? And fill the person full of holes. Feel ministered to? And, you know, there's a way to even give very hard truth to someone. You know, you can tell someone that's going to absolutely break their heart. Maybe that's one of the things that you need to say from the, by the word of God. But it's so important the way you speak the way you deliver a message that we're not harsh, but we're gracious because you can even say some very hard things to a person, but when spoken in love, they'll have the opportunity to be received. But you can say something even very easy to someone, but speak it with such an attitude that they don't even hear what you have to say because the delivery was full of thorns. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 tells us, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. When it talks about building up and edifying, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a happy and a jolly message. You know, amongst ourselves in the body of Christ, we need to be open to correct one another. When we're doing something that's going to destroy our faith or destroy our lives, we need to have the boldness to bring that up with each other. You know, it's often an area where God needs to work on our hearts that he may sanctify our tongues. In chap- Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You know, so many of us have the apples of gold part. We know what needs to be said. We've discerned. I don't care if it's a you know, a speck or a plank in the other person's eye. 
whatever's going wrong with them, you know, we can usually discern it. And we have a little harder time discerning what's wrong with us, but you can usually discern what's wrong with everyone else. And we know the apple's a gold part. You know, I know what you need to hear right now. But you know, so many of us don't have down the settings of silver. We don't wait for the right time to say it. We don't think about how we deliver that message. We just want to ram the apples of gold right down their throat and say, you just need to hear this. No. Let the apples of gold be in their settings of silver. That's the word that's fitly spoken. Not just a word that's spoken, but a word that's fitly spoken. Good advice here to a king. Consider what you have to say, but also how you have to say it. And so these elders of Solomon passing along the wisdom that they had gleaned. They had been with Solomon for 40 years uh, throughout his reign, teaching now Rehoboam, if you want to be successful as a king, then you need to be a servant, having the heart and attitude of one who serves, making others' needs a priority, doing the work of a servant, and also being gracious in your words. Now, are these principles only there for King Rehoboam, or is it not something that we can take of a, advice for us? Oh, that I would have, you know, we had eight of the elders around King Solomon here. You know, instead of King Solomon, people would come to him with whatever bizarre question they had, and he could answer it. You know, the, what a great thing. Here, we're going to have people up here for prayer that can answer whatever question you could possibly ask. They will give you the wisdom of the Lord. That'd be awesome. You know, the rest of us sometimes kind of fumble along, but these folks really hung around with a guy who knew. And so here we ask ourselves, well, how can we apply these things? Well, service is how you're going to make your marriage successful. Really, any close, intimate relationship that you may have. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Here, he who loves his wife loves himself. And so here, loving is linked with giving that we're going to see in service. You know, a wife is much more likely to respond to being shown what love is, to be shown what service is, than being told. As well as the wife is to serve, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be one. How? By the conduct of the wives, that they may observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And so both husbands and wives have a biblical mandate, really, to serve each other in their marriage relationship. But not only because God designed it that way, but look at the benefit to you who acts these things out. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, it's an opportunity for the wife to be a part of leading her husband to Christ. Some also believe that when it talks about husbands not obeying the word, Maybe there's a husband out there that's stubborn. Maybe. Not in our home, right, honey? 
You know, I really went into our marriage thinking I needed to train my wife. I've never told her that until right now. But because of me listening in areas, my wife, I am able to do things both at my work and in the ministry that I really don't think I could have done because it was such a blind spot that she came along and said, you know, honey, you need to look at this. And uh, I was like, wow, you just need to have your eyesight adjusted, honey. (laughs) Seeing it wrong. (laughs) But, you know, the, the wife's chaste conduct is an opportunity to bring conviction into the life of her own husband. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27 was just talking about, you know, a husband can be part of his wife's growth in Christ. Who would not want a wife that's committed to the Lord? You as a husband are going to be the beneficiary of that. Let me tell you, you will be. It's a blessed thing to have a wife who follows the Lord. You can be a part of that by demonstrating to her what service looks like. And this... Within the marriage relationship, you'll have the opportunity of really fulfilling what Solomon's elders was teaching Rehoboam, saying, if you are the servant and are acting out the service, you are going to be the beneficiary. You're going to be the one who ultimately benefits because as you develop that husband or that wife, you're going to be the one who benefits. You're going to be the part of the fruit of that investment. As well, service can make you successful in, in leadership, even in the workplace. Particularly if you have to find yourself managing. You know, the Word of God does speak to managers. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Master, Masters, give your bond service what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Or Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And you, Masters, Do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. When it talks about you masters do the same things, Paul's talking about verses right before that where he was telling uh, employees, don't just be a man pleaser. You know, don't just do what you know your boss is going to be looking for you to do. Or worse, your boss kind of comes around the corner and very quickly you, you know, turn off SI.com and you go back to whatever the work was there on the computer. He says, don't be a man pleaser. Instead, obey from the heart. And so if you want to be a good manager, a good leader, even within the church, then we need to be willing to serve the needs of those who look to you for guidance and direction. Now, recently, I became a manager at my own company. Again, I attribute that partially to my wife just pointing out my flaws that were really getting in the way of that. Now, I've no, I mean, in 25 years of working in IT, I've never managed before, and now I've got this rather large team. And... I never realized how selfish I was until I became a manager because I just didn't want to deal with everyone's issues. I just wanted to deal with my own. And now they're coming and people are like, you know, this has come up and that's come up and I I, I don't want to deal with that right now. But (laughs) I'm, I'm realizing in order for me to be successful, I have to serve them and cause them to be successful. 
And that's really what leadership is. It's developing those who look to you, whether that's in your family, developing your kids, or if you lead here a ministry at the church, or wherever you're in a capacity where people are looking to you for guidance and direction, for you to be successful that, you have to make them successful. No matter what it does to speak to your own heart. You know, I found out my boss, we are the employees at the firm that I work at. We have a... a uh, bonus at the end of the year and raises we do in the middle of the year. And, uh, you know, there's only a certain amount of money that you can allocate across all the people, including yourself. So whatever pool of money you have to give out raises, that's your pool for yourself as well. And boy, if there's nothing that will test your own uh, service to people when you have to share the raise money with all of your employees... And my boss says, you know, what I've done in the past, what I feel so-and-so really deserves, he goes, I give up my raise in order to give them more money. Uh, You know, (laughs) 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 well, you got a bigger base than I do. You know, I, you know, so I sent him an email and I said, all right, you know, if we don't have enough money, fine, take it out of mine. And even when I did get my review back, I still felt, geez, I could have used some more. Of course, I forgot of anything that I said. But you know, that is what service is about when it comes to leadership. It's really meeting the needs and taking care of those below you before yourself. Notice how Paul, again, speaking to those in leadership, giving up threatening, which we're going to see later on. This is what Rehoboam was tempted to do with his authority is to threaten. And it's a great temptation, whether you're a leader in the church, you're your home, wives with their kids, husbands with their family. When you're in a position of authority, there's a temptation to use harshness to get people in line. Like Rehoboam in our story, rather than trying to understand the issues being brought up by his people, he wanted to use harshness to shut them down. Yet Jesus teaches us in John 13 A servant leader washes the feet, meets the needs of even the smallest of issues. And so if we desire to be successful as a Christian leader, whether in our workplace or here in church or there in the home, we need to be willing to serve. Last, uh, next uh, service prepares us for heaven. You know, I turned 40 a few years ago. And, you know, they always talk about weird things happen with age 40. But suddenly I realized that when I look at the age of my father and grandfather, I'm realizing I'm more than halfway to dying. And you don't necessarily think about that because we have young kids. You sort of think young even though, you know, I can't really keep up with them as much as I'd like. And I, I suddenly realized, you know, I'm like over the hump now. I'm sort of headed downhill. And I know it's better to be over the hill than under it, but I started to, started to feel very selfish in my own spiritual life that was like, you know, I keep pursuing how I can grow spiritually and such. And I'm just thinking, you know, standing before God, giving an account of my life and just really finding just myself all in it. And I started to ask, well, what have I done? What have I sacrificed that others may live spiritually? What kind of legacy am I leaving? What I, am I really ready for the inheritance 
Or will I have one in, in heaven? And you know, each one of us is going to find at some point in our Christian lives, we're going to find that in order to build up others, in order to really serve them and to leave a godly legacy and have a great inheritance in heaven, there's something that you and I personally are going to have to give up. Whether pride or comforts or some hope or dream or expectation for ourselves, it becomes a choice that we have to make as to who are we going to spend all of our time and energy and resources on. In Jesus' case, it was his life, as it says in Math, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For Paul, he had to give up a comfortable life. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16 says of Paul, this is God speaking, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And as if to confirm that prophecy by God, Paul wrote in Colossians 1.24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And so the question is, what is it that God would have us to let go of in order that we can be a part of what he wants to do in this, in this earth? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 puts it this way, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So whatever it might be, of course, none of us are going to discover that until we go through that exercise of saying, okay, Lord, I'm now yours. Whatever you want to do. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so for maturity and growth, not only in ourselves, but for those around us, at some point, God may put his finger on something in our lives that has to go. And maybe it's nothing sinful in and of itself, but it's just that which keeps us from planting ourselves in the ground and we just continue to abide alone. And we have no effect. And if our lives really are nothing but an endless pursuit of our own goals and objectives, then any of your achievements will simply die with you. They'll die with me. Jesus said to the man who did nothing but heap things up for himself in Luke twelve twenty, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Moreover, you know, a selfish pursuit of just what you want is never going to satisfy you. You know, the, I'd recommend you read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who had everything the world wanted, listen to what he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my desire from any pleasure. This was the richest and wisest man on earth. 
and all the wine, women, and song that he could come up with. He says, Then I looked on all the works that my hand had done and the labor which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. That's what a life of selfish pursuit will bring you to, is agreeing with Solomon. It just wasn't worth it. But instead, if we freely give up those things God calls us to as a way of serving those around us, then both others and us are going to benefit by our changing of these priorities. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break through in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so every time we relinquish ourselves for God's purpose, even though it may seem, and certainly Satan will be in your ears saying, saying, you're going to just lose everything. That's a dumb thing to do. You're just giving it all up. What's the sense? What's the purpose? But instead God says, well, you're laying up treasure in heaven. And ultimately it's you and I are going to benefit from that surrender today. And so whatever God may be calling us to give up during our earthly pilgrimage is going to come to us many times over in the life to come. Matthew 19, verse 29 says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And so again, fulfilling what the elders had said to Rehoboam, if you serve, if you serve them, you will be the one served forever. And lastly, service will just help us to know how to be a Christian. You know, it can be difficult. You come into the body of Christ and everyone else seems to have this thing nailed down. It's easy to be insecure. You know, heading out into the food court you know, and just talk with other Christians or whatnot. And, you know, my wife and I, when we went to the wedding, suddenly found ourselves the only ones at our wedding table. And uh, in a strange series of events, and Kirk kindly came by, so we didn't stick out too bad like a sore thumb. But it is very easy in various settings and such like this to suddenly, you know, crumple into a little ball and curl up into the fetal position on your chair because you don't know what to do. And it all seems so weird and strange and different. And But, you know, then there's our, our family interactions. You know, you really start to walk with the Lord, and all of a sudden, you know, what you want to do and what brings you joy or what you want to watch on TV or don't want to watch may kind of conflict, you know, with your family such that it starts to become a, a little bit of a concern when you go back and, spend time with family, particularly those who aren't Christians. We ask, well, what do I, how do I behave around them? What do I do around them? You know, how do I handle even all my social Christian interactions? You know, you get involved in ministry or whatnot. How do we, how do we handle all of that? Well, you can serve. In each one of those situations, you can serve. You know, it's a, blessing to come into a group of Christians, if you yourself just spend time in the Word of God, you know, before you come into these interactions and see if maybe God will give you something to, to encourage someone else. A little bit of a, or just ask them if, what God's doing in their life. 
I said, can you pray for them? Is there something I could pray for you about? You know, what a great way to have conversation, you know, around the food court, you know. What's God doing in your life? How'd you become a Christian? How can I pray for you? It's service. It's whatever the other person needs. If they look all weird and insecure, go talk with them. You know, probably be happy for it. But if you come into an attitude that just says, you know, I see what other people may need, whether it's prayer, maybe it's an encouragement or whatnot, then be willing to step up and, and go do it. You know, it's a great way to engage your family as well. I know we have a number of students, and, and I did the same thing, come home and with your big bag of dirty laundry and such, looking for particularly mom to feed and clothe and pamper you there because you've been a college student. <laughs> but when I come home and say, hey, Ma, can I do your laundry? Well, you know, your dad, whatever. Can I do the dishes? You know, can I walk the dog? Can I straighten up? Can I vacuum? Blow your parents' mind, you know. You know, when you're looking for something to do, look for an opportunity to pitch in somewhere or help. You may say, well, I'm on vacation. Well, so what? You know, needs are still there. Someone's going to have to do them. You know, I know some of you are going to be, you know, going down on a missions trip to, uh, to Peru. And, uh, you know, it can be so easy to think that service is everything that happens, you know, out in the community. Oh, we've got to go evangelize and build the church and all those things that need to get done. We get so often neglected as the host family, you know, cooking up all the food and everything else. Offer yourselves to them. Can I change a diaper? You know, um, if they need, if they have one. Uh, whatever the need is, just can I help, you know? And... Just uh, uh, approach these situations just willing to help, willing to pitch in. You know, I remember uh, when I was in Bible school, a friend of mine and I, we went down to a, an orphanage in Mexico that uh, was run by uh, Jim Corson, John Corson's brother. And um, he, uh, this guy Steve I was with, you know, we had finished dinner and, you know, we kind of, you know, policed all the dishes and put them over the side where someone else was supposed to wash them, which I was comfortable with. And Steve said, why don't we help do dishes? I go, all right, you know. And so we went back there and we're like scrubbing pots and pans and whatnot. And, and Jim was so impressed. He goes, you know, we've hosted, I don't know how many groups coming down here. You know, no one's ever done their own dishes. But you know, so I love this guy, Steve Smith, for that, by the way. And I, and it's just a... Uh, uh, an, an opportunity, really, just an attitude. You come into a service. What do the people need? What does the situation need? And and just meet it. And then it can even help you with people you know you don't like in the body of Christ. Now, it can be taboo to say, oh, I don't like another Christian. But, you know, it happens. Not that everyone gets along. But, you know, use service as a way to bridge the gap. Sometimes it can be really hard. Oh, that person, you know, we just had a big to-do and how do I talk with them now? If someone's asked me, well, how do I talk? I say, say hello, you know. <laughs> may blow their mind. Well, it was like we were just mad at each other. Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to put it behind us and just say hello and be blessed and, you know, just as a way of, of serving there.
within the body of Christ. And so Christian service, really it's the answer to so many of the issues that you're going to face you know, in your life, whether relationships and marriage, workplace, or in position of leadership. You're looking to leave some kind of a godly legacy. You're looking to develop Christ in those around you or those who serve with you and even being able to interact with the body of Christ. You know, none of us will ever, 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 ever lose out by giving yourself over to serving. Instead, what you're going to find is going to give you an opportunity to be served forever because it'll create for you an inheritance in heaven. It'll make you ready for heaven and those around you. And so God's answer is service. Now, there's one thing, however, that we see in our story here. We'll look at this last verse in verse 8 that so often keeps us from responding in service. In verse 8 of 1 Kings, it says, But he, speaking of Rehoboam, rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. And so rather than taking the wisdom of these elders who had been with Solomon, Rehoboam rejected the advice going to others that didn't have the wisdom of God, who were the buddies he grew up with. It only resulted in just division of the kingdom and despair. And so because of, when because of selfishness or pride, we just want to say no, you know, ultimately it's us who lose. It's us who lose. We try to do the world's way of handling a marriage and legacy and social relationships. We simply deprive ourselves of God's power and God's blessing. But when we choose the humility of serving, then we do have really God's power and God's authority and God's inheritance upon it. And so um, I'm going to ask at this point the folks we ask for prayer to come up, also the worship team. Uh, This morning we're going to have communion. The uh, elements will be there in the back. But, uh, you know, some folks say, well, what is communion? How is it? What is it all about? Well, really, the first communion was given by Jesus in Matthew 26, where he was just offering up his body and his blood. And it was just an opportunity for remembrance of what he had done on the cross or was going to go do on the cross. And communion is really, it's given for Christians, uh, those that have made Jesus the the Lord and Savior of their lives. And, um, but if you yourself have not become a Christian and you want to partake of communion with us, it's a very simple thing to do to say, it's a very simple thing to say, uh, but the cost is, is quite high, certainly to the Lord, but also for you yourself. To become a Christian, it's given to us in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you believe that the only way that you're going to make yourself uh, to get into heaven is because of the, the death the, the shedding of the blood, because it says it takes the blood, the shedding of blood in death is what's needful for our sin to be removed. If you believe that and you're ready to make 
uh, really Jesus the Lord of your life, well, then you can become a Christian. And you can just pray with one of the couples that we have up here. As well, for those as, uh, as the worship team plays, if you want to pray to become a Christian, please come up and, and, and pray with one of the couples. Or, you know, also the, the Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, really to examine ourselves and see if there's anything that's just going on in your heart that you know, you know, before I take communion, I just want to, just really want to pray with someone about this. You know, something going on in my heart. You can uh, pray with uh, one of the couples as well. And so uh, while the worship team prays, I'll just let those of you that want to come up and pray with uh, one of the couples, feel free to do so. Uh, for others, you can head back to the, there's tables on either side and get your juice and cracker and then we'll have communion together. Jesus, you are mercy. Jesus, you are justice. Jesus, you are worthy. That is what you are. You died alone to save me. You rose so you could raise me. You did this all to make me a chosen child. It's Jesus, you are
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Brendan. Going on in verse 25, it says, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Lord, we do thank you for being able to really remember, Father, and as your word says, proclaim, Father, Lord, the reality that you gave your body, you gave your blood, Lord God, that we may live. And Lord, what a uh, truest act of service, Father, we could ever see, Lord, that you knew that we um, really would be dying and spending eternity apart from you, Father. And Lord, we... Thank you, God, that you couldn't just uh, walk by and not meet that need, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you've uh, paid for our sin, Lord, in a very brutal way, uh, Father, a very painful way that we can have life. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for just, Lord, our time in your word today. I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, just to remember these things, Father, and Lord, just for all of us, God, to be more made more and more into the image of Christ. We thank you, Father, for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please rise and we'll close with a song. I'm giving you my heart all that is within I lay it all down for the sake of you my King I'm giving you my dreams I'm laying down my rights I'm giving up my pride for the promise of
you as you're dismissed. And uh, if you need prayer, there'll be a couple people up front to uh, pray with you.